This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. My gosh, you boys already know. I'm not letting that Ramsey boy come over and play until you clean up your rooms. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're talking about bozos. It's about time someone called these dorks what they really are. Whoa, what's that? Oh, it's part of a book title? Okay, all right, we'll go with that. My bad. They're still bozos, though. On today's show, we welcome the author of Bozos, Monsters, and Whizbangs, Lorraine L. Plus, we'll share a headline about what happens when one bank customer finds out he has unlimited funds. Can you say beef jerky, people? <laughs> we'll see. And we'll throw out the Haven lifeline to Ryan, who wonders about saving versus taking on debt. Should he take out loans to pay for school and still save into his 401k to get compounding interest? I think Ryan forgot the third option. Spend it on a frosted Eau Claire. But now, two guys who go together like donuts and diabetes, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Mmm, donuts. Diabetes. Gotta eat me some oatmeal now. Wilford Brimley sells... (laughs) Sells diabetes medicine and oatmeal. I know what you're talking about. Andy sells those motorized wheelchairs too. Well, you know, it's a niche. He's Gotta, just kind of right in that. Is he? <laughs> is he still alive? Or do they just keep bringing him back for more? I have no idea. Diabetes. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Donuts and Diabetes podcast. I don't know where diabetes. we're going with that. Yes, I'm uh, Joe Salcia. I average Joe money on Twitter, and across the table from me. It's uh, Mr. Sweatman OG. Mom's got you working hard in the backyard today, oh, dude. Good Lord. I told her the next time she wants me to do something, she should just make me uh, find somebody to do it and I can supervise. Man, I suck at these home jobs. <laughs> so bad at them. I do too. But you know what you do? You call somebody who uses House Call Pro OG. By the way, if you've got a service-based business and you want uh, OG to refer you to people, especially mom... Housecall Pro will help you get your service business organized and streamlined with your customers. Head to housecallpro.com slash SB and they'll waive your $99 activation fee. Go to housecallpro.com slash SB. And we're brought to you by Magnify Money, the place where you go when you find out that checking account you've got sucks. The savings account is not as good as it should be. And those uh, credit cards in your wallet, maybe it's time to quit using them. Do a consolidation loan. Get your act together. Become the CFO of your household. Head to 
stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnified money. The average person who goes there saves $450. We've got some savings today. We got some fun today. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Esquire. This is written by David Kushner. It's called When Milky Got His Money. You overdraw from your savings account. The bank doesn't notice. You do it again, same, and again, same. What do you do? A, stop doing it, or B, tell the bank about the glitch, or C, live the life you've always dreamed of? C. This is a true story of a man who chose C, thanks to more than $1.5 million in free cash. The greatest adventures happen when you least expect them, and on July 15th, 2010, Luke Milky Moore never thought one of the greatest in recent memory was about to start for him. Then again, not much ever went down in Goulburn, Australia, his sleepy hometown two hours into the barren brown hills southwest of Sydney. Goulburn's biggest claim is its roadside attraction, the Big Moreno, a.k.a. Rambo, a 50-foot-tall concrete ram with a proportionally huge and hideous scrotum. I don't know that I can... (laughs) For the 23,000 locals, the main pastime is slapping the pokies playing the electronic poker machines that fill every pub, kebab shop, and lawn bowling club. Oh, that's, that means a different thing up here. <laughs> Something totally different. So it goes through how life uh, started off great. His dad was a bank executive, things going well, and then things weren't going so well. His life took a turn for the worse. And that's when life suddenly gave him the equivalent of a royal flush on the pokies. It happens on July 15th, the day his biweekly mortgage payment was due. With no money in the bank, Milky was bracing himself for the beginning of the end. But then something strange happened. The automatic debit, 500 Australian dollars, went from his savings account to his bank, St. George, into his mortgage account, even though he didn't have 500 bucks there. It magically <laughs> transferred. Two weeks later, it happened again. When he checked his balance, he could see he'd racked up the corresponding debt and interest under his name. Once he hit the limit, he assumed the overdrafts were going to stop, but they didn't. Fortnight after fortnight. How long's a fortnight? 14 days, oh, right? Yes. Uh-huh. His mortgage got paid. Thinking this was crazy, he put in a request for $5,000 to be transferred to his mortgage account. A couple days later, he called his bank to check on the transfer, figuring at worst he'd reach his limit. Did that go through? He asked the teller who told him casually, yes, that's all paid. A few days after that, on a lark, he called St. George and asked the bank to transfer 50000 to his mortgage account. Quote, I was literally thinking, I'll just wing it and see if it works, he recalls. And sure enough, it did. The $50,000 deficit was charged on his savings account, but the bank didn't seem to notice. Or if it did, didn't care. It was like getting a free unlimited loan. Quote, I probably had a bit of a smile on my face then, he says. Not smiling because I was thinking I was scamming the bank, but smiling because I was like, this is my fresh start. That's like AKA <laughs> scam in the bank. That's that's my favorite line in this entire piece. It's a fresh start. The bank is never gonna notice. I'm gonna get I'll to keep notice. this money forever because it's it's probably my money. By the time he sold his home a year later, he paid down his mortgage so much from the overdrafts that he cleared hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Hundred fifteen thousand US. Though he'd been quiet about this so far, he finally confided in a friend. What do you reckon I do? Milky asked him. What do you do, in other words, when you're single, 24, and just got a pile of free money from the bank? No brainer, his friend replied. Pokies. 
<laughs> Let's party. Yep. Milky was going to paradise. Surfer's paradise is the crown jewel of the Gold Coast. Pristine swatch of beaches along Australia's eastern shore. Has the nightlife of Vegas and the ocean views of San Diego with high-rise resorts lining the two-mile crescent shore. It's exactly where you want to move if you're a young guy with money to burn. Far as his family was concerned, it was just the move for him to get over his accident, his depression, his breakup with his girlfriend, and start again. Quote, you need to get out of Goldburn, his father compassionately said. So he books himself into a beachside hotel. By day, he goes to the beach, body surfs, and chats up tourists and locals. And at night, he cruises the bars, slaps the pokies, hits the strip clubs, and dances to Kylie Minogue. In fact, it was so damn beautiful, he just couldn't help but spend his cash. All parties end eventually, though. One morning in December 2011, six months after he moved to surfers, Milky's bash crash. His coworkers were gone along with the money he'd lent them. When Milky called, the phone went to voicemail and then nothing at all. As for the rest, the 150000 that was supposed to last him for ages, he'd blown it all. Even worse, this happened on Christmas, his first away from his family. That old depression started sinking in again. So he's, he's stolen all this money and now he's depressed because he's run out of the money that he's stolen. But then he realized he had another lifeline, a St. George account. Though he hadn't used it since he left, it was still there. There was just one problem. The overdrafts only work for direct debits, meaning he couldn't just go to the ATM and take out cash. He had to somehow get St. So, so George. So apparently he had tried that. Right. <laughs> he had to somehow get St. George, transfer money into another account from which he could withdraw. And that's when it hit him. PayPal. Nice. <laughs> Doesn't his story just get better? He'd already been using a PayPal account for his online purchases and was transferring money between it and the account he'd opened at another bank, National Australia Bank. So he winged it again, figuring that is always the worst. St. George could always say was no or holy cow, you're already into us for a ton of cash. He called the bank and requested a small transfer to see if it'd work. As he sat anxiously at his laptop inside his hotel room, he kept hitting refresh on his browser as he checked his account. Then his eyes widened. It worked. The money gone through. He then requested it be sent from PayPal to the National Australian Bank from which he could withdraw it. With the money in NAB, he added out past the tourist, slipped his card into an ATM near a pub, and tried taking out a few hundred dollars as a test. The seconds after his request ticked intermittently as his life hung in the balance. And then, like the ultimate pokey machine, the ATM began spitting out a stack of colorful polymer banknotes into his hand. Holy shit, he realized. I can get as much money as I want. And then it goes into him buying a Maserati. Obviously. That's even, what I would buy. I should buy Bitcoin. So the question is then, if you've got a bank error in your favor, do you blow the money or do you use it as a downstroke on your like investing account and then like margin the heck out of it? Because eventually they're going to come after their money plus late fees, right? Maybe some interest, but if you could have parlayed that couple hundred grand or million dollars into a $4 million brokerage account, then you just go, oh yeah, I was wondering if you guys were going to need that money back. Here you go. Here it is. Sorry about that. I just kept it. Yeah, I just kept it. Huge, huge misunderstanding. Yeah. Huge misunderstanding. Here you go. Here's the way this ends. I know this is a shocker. He goes back to his parents' house was getting ready to uh, move out for good. 
And around 9 a.m. And there's a knock on the door. Oh, better yet. 9 a.m. on December 12, 2012, Milky was in his bed at his parents' house on his laptop with his headphones on when he heard a pounding on his bedroom window. He looked up to see two plainclothesmen outside. Luke once said, you got to open up. They're at your front door banging, and if you don't open it, they're going to kick it in. By the time Milky headed for the front door, however, he saw his mother in her bathrobe already there with a look he remembers as, quote, disbelief and confusion and sadness and anger all rolled into one. As she recalls, I was just in shock. A group of police officers stormed in, waving a search warrant, brandishing video cameras. Luke once said, we're here to raid your house. They told him he was being charged with knowingly dealing with the proceeds of crime and dishonestly obtaining financial advantage by deception for a total take over the past two years of $2.18 million, $1.671, including interest. Milky had no idea how he'd gotten caught. Perhaps someone at the bank had finally taken notice, or maybe someone on the receiving end of his large purchases raised concerns, but he still believed he'd done nothing illegal. He still believed he'd done nothing illegal. There's a lot of people that believe weird stuff, dude. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's just because just you believe it doesn't make it not true. I don't know that there's a lesson here, except... When the ATM spits out money that's not yours, these always end badly. How many times have we had this story? Like four, five? It always ends badly. Like If it happens to you, that's what I said. What you need to do is you need to keep it all and put it in a uh, 3X bull Bitcoin fund so that when they come to get their money, you'll either have $13 million or none or nothing. Either way, either way, you're good. You're going to end up with none anyway, right? Like that's the end of the game when you steal all this money. So, well, the thing is, when they come to get their money back, if you've got more, right, you give them their money back, and you still got a pile that you made off their money. Yeah, you got to not tell them that though. That's the no. Part. It's like arbitrage. Take their. They would call that ill-gotten. Would they call that? You put that in your cat's name or something. Oh boy, and I I can't believe that he uh, or just don't steal. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a lesson. I'll link to this in our show notes at Stacky Benjamin. How long do you go to jail for? Dot com. I'll tell you that in a second. But if you think this just hurts you, OG, his dad got a demotion at the bank. He lost his job. Quote, at a bank, integrity is a big thing. I wish somebody would have told that to Bank of America when they were sla- rearranging my, you know, my thing so they could try to give me overdrafts yeah. back in the day. Or Wells Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> tell them that integrity is a big thing. I think it's funny. Anyway, I won't get on that school. <laughs> But so his his mere association with his son, too much for his employer to bear. He ended up taking the motion to rank and pay, leaving him out of sight in a back office. Milky was sentenced to four years and six months in prison. Not surprisingly, St. George Bank was not forthcoming with details as to what had happened. A spokesperson for the bank would only say to the Sunday Telegraph that the glitch had been the result of a, quote, human error that had since been corrected. Two million dollar human error. It's a big old human error. Do you have somebody on the inside, maybe? Very interesting. Okay. That's Don't cr- steal. That's crazy. That's the lesson. Well, I found out, OG, after I found out about this book, that Lorraine L. and I are now BFFs because she's a Spartan. So... Not only is this a great book that I enjoyed very much, but she also is uh, go green. Uh, Lorraine L. is a financial planner. She and Kate Stelzer have a podcast called Better Money Decisions, and she's the CEO of the company of the same name. 
get this, she started in 1980s as an advisor with this company called Drexel, Burnham & Lambert. How about that? Nice. I know, isn't that sweet? And for people that don't know what that means, that's a company that went down because of uh, junk bond trading. So some some pretty uh, exciting stuff. But that was in the 90s. That's old school, man. Yeah, that was in the 90s and probably long after Lorraine had left. But Lorraine wrote this book, Bozos, Monsters, and Whizbangs: Bad Advice from Financial Advisors and How to Avoid It. I'm, I'm so happy to have Lorraine coming down to the basement to tell stories about some of the bad stuff. Instead of you and I telling these stories, OG, how about if we have Lorraine tell them? Lorraine L. coming down to the basement. And here she comes. Hey, Lorraine, how are you? I'm fine. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Well, anybody is going to talk about bozos and it's not us, we, <laughs> we very much like that. That's good stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I wrote the book out of frustration with my industry, so I couldn't think of more colorful names to describe some of the advisors that I write about in the book, you, you other can, than bozos, I was monsters, say, and whiz bangs. <laughs> you can think of better names. You just can't say them in polite company. In public, in polite company. <laughs> That's right, Correct. In front of mom. And it's funny because you tell these stories and I'm glad it's you for once and not just OG and I. But before we get to that, let's talk about you, Lorraine, because everybody thinks that these people that are financial planners, that they live this life that's different than the average person. But really, while you started off, things went great for your family in Pittsburgh. It became a struggle. It definitely did. I led what I considered a, you know, a very fortunate life in my early years, really. Didn't want for anything. I had all the trappings of a good life as a child. And there wasn't anything that I didn't have. I got the bikes. I got the toys. I got the clothes. I mean, I, I went to fancy department stores to buy my clothing. And so, you know, even as a child, that was something that was important to me. But when I was 14, my father got very seriously ill and he was an entrepreneur and my mother had to go back to work. And so I was at a crossroads. I was 14 years old. And I think all of your listeners can identify with that age. It's not a very easy age to be dealing with, but right. I had a choice. And my choice was either to, you know, be that kind of bratty teenager or to kind of step up and try and help my family get through this difficult time. And I chose the helping pattern. So that's what I ended up doing. But well, wait yeah. a minute, how did you help? Because as a 14 year old, I can't imagine Asking my 14 year old, because I, you know, I have twins and I can't imagine, and, and you have children, I can't imagine asking my 14 year old to step up and help. Well, you know, I took over the responsibilities for the household because my mother had to go back to work. And so that meant, you know, cleaning, cooking, taking care of my three younger sisters, taking care of my father who had difficulty getting out of bed in the morning and this kind of thing. So, it really involved all of those different aspects, but also I found a part-time job. So the first job I had was washing hair in a beauty shop. Not a very glamorous occupation, I can tell you that, but it did afford me tips. You know, I made minimum wage, with, which I think at the time was a dollar something an hour, but with every hair that I'd wash, I got a quarter. 
Now, I know a quarter doesn't sound like a lot of money these days, but back then it was it was a lot. And I'd come home with that money jingling in my pocket and I just felt like I had really accomplished something. And that gave me such a great feeling. And to this day, I love making money, which is why I'm working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird that you have the career that you have. The the uh, but but it reminds me. I don't know if you just saw recently in the news Warren Buffett telling that story about his first hundred and fourteen dollars buying cokes for you know x amount of money and marking them up five cents and and getting more and, and then he took that hundred and fourteen dollars and invested. It. What did you do with your quarters? Well, I'll tell you what I did with my quarters. Uh, sometimes I buy little treats for my sisters because you know money was really tight sure. and there wasn't much around. I also saved a lot for college. Because I knew that my way out of that situation was an education, a good education. So I really had that at top of mind, even at the age of 14. That wow. that, and I was the first one to go to college in my family. So it was something that I realized if I had that kind of education, I could make a life for myself, even if disasters happened, that it would give me different avenues that I could kind of protect myself against things that might go wrong. Well, and it's sad that the kind of people that you work with as a financial planner are the type of people that are like you, hardworking people, I know, because for 16 years I did what you do. And <laughs> and to have somebody who's supposedly in their corner who is really in different ways, either not just giving them bad advice, but sometimes kind of stealing from them is so frustrating. Oh, you know, that's where my kind of anger comes from and, you know, got me to write this book because I really think that it's absolutely absurd that advisors think they have to do wrong by clients when this is an industry where you can do so well. It's so lucrative if you do the right thing. Right. It's just not that hard to do the right thing. <laughs> and this is the part of it that I don't understand. So- I wrote the book. <laughs> well, well, let's go into some of these. Uh, you've turned them into characters. So let's go through a few of them from early in the book, if you don't mind. Let's start with Nurse Betty. I love how you guys in the office, you call her Nurse Betty because we had, this is kind of pulling the curtain back, but we had some clients too that we had names for and the client never knew what the name was. And it wasn't derogatory. It was just, we were having fun. Uh, right. But tell me about Nurse Betty. Yeah. Nurse Betty was a wonderful woman. She was in her mid-70s and really smart and really clever and quick-witted. She had a lot of personality to her. We just loved her. And of course, you know, she'd come into the office and we'd say, Nurse Betty, stat, you know, we'd use all those corny uh, <laughs> hospital TV <laughs> jargon. But she had been on TV. She'd done TV. She had... Yes, she had a short career as a soap opera star. She was just a wonderfully colorful person, and we we just really enjoyed her. But when she first came to us, she came to us out of kind of desperation and bewilderment about what was going on in her account. She didn't understand it, and she was like, I don't understand a word that kid says. And of course, it's a small industry here in Albuquerque. And when she mentioned his name, and I called him Wesley Rock in the book, but when she mentioned his name, I knew who he was. And he was this typical 1980s stockbroker, wolf of Wall Street, slicked back hair, suspenders, shiny shoes, fast talking. I could go on and on. And... <laughs> 
she brought in and said, you know, I don't understand a thing that kid's saying to me. And he was a kid. He was in, you know, his late 20s. She came in with this stack of confirms. And literally almost six inches high. And when you say con- when you say conference, by the way, you and I know what you're talking about. But these are yeah. trades, like buying and selling stuff in her account. That's right. They're notifications of trades. And so he was trading her account sometimes daily. You know what that means to the advisor, the broker. In this case, he was really was a stockbroker. It means that he's getting a commission every time he puts in a trade. So no matter how small that commission is or big it is, he gets a piece of that. So even if it's one of the discount firms, you're getting a little piece of whatever is being charged with every trade. It's called churning. I mean, he was really churning her account, which is over trading an account and getting in and out of stock rapidly. But she was just totally bewildered by what was going on. Of course, we helped her out and turned her around. As it turns out, Wesley was and had been an Applebee's manager. So hence the idea of the burger flipper. So flipping stocks and flipping burgers is kind of the analogy (laughs) I made in the book. Yeah, I I get it now. Nurse Betty and the burger flipper. Yeah. And the stock flipper. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But how do you change that? Let's say that you're somebody listening though, Lorraine, and uh, you're like, well, my, my broker's trading my account a lot you need to find a new advisor. And Joe, I have a great download for your listeners. It's called Seven Warning Signs That You Are Working With The Wrong Advisor. It's a PDF. You can go to the website, bozosmonsterswhizbangs.com and download this for free. But it really has some very good information in there about how to know that you really should be looking around for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, we see this all too often because people don't know what to look for. Right. They don't know what to do. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book as well, because it really is kind of a guide to what do you do if someone's churning your account. And and you talk about for some advisors, they're not doing this. It still might not be appropriate. They're called separately managed accounts where they're not charging a commission every time, but still uh, maybe a lot more sizzle than steak there. You know, those separately managed accounts, they're usually from an outside firm who is buying maybe 40 or 50 different individual stocks in a portfolio. Basically, a mutual fund. You own a mutual you know, <laughs> fund, but you you get to see all the guts. I see the guts and I see what they do and I see the overlap and I see the overcharging on these accounts. And I'm just amazed that these are sold and given to individual investors. It's just egregious. I can't think of another word. It's terrible. (laughs) Well, let's go on to the next one because the second story is the one that really kills me. And this is Rita's story. How'd you meet Rita? Oh, Rita came to us. She's such a wonderful woman. I just want to mention that, you know, these names are not the right. real names. Of- <laughs> Good point. I just yes. want your audience to know her that name names is- have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> her name is Rita Smith. She lives on Third Avenue, you know, the greenhouse, yeah. <laughs> right? With that fence, go up and knock on her door and tell her that Lorraine was talking about her, right? No, probably yeah, really. not. <laughs> and Rita is not the only client that this has happened to. 
for a variety of reasons. So she was going along with this advisor and he was, you know, touting the market. It's great. Uh, let's get all in. Let's, you know, get all excited. And you know how that can happen in this industry. People get pumped up and start talking and hyping things, maybe overhyping the uh, way they invest. And so everything was going great guns until one day she got this call. And he sounded so depressed. And he said, oh, I really think this market's really bad. And I think you're going to lose all your money and you better get out. Well, that happened on the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed. I don't know if uh, your listeners remember that, but back in 08, and of all things, on my birthday, which is kind of a sad, (laughs) sad day, (laughs) Um, September 15th, 2008, Lehman Brothers collapsed. And of course, the market panicked. And this was the beginning, the real beginning of that uh, steep decline that we had between September of 08 and March of 09. And she sold out. She sold out everything. Because her advisor told her to. Because her advisor panicked. Her advisor, I mean, as an advisor, you're supposed to not panic. I know. We're supposed to be the voice of reason. But this isn't the only, I, I recently had the same kind of thing happen to another client, and it's it's not in the book, but it's a similar story. It was with the election of 2016, and her advisor called and said, Trump won the election and sell everything, and they sold out. I Just because the, the advisor didn't like Trump, thought the market was going to go horribly. Thought the market was going to go down. I mean, these predictions about uh, politics or even when the market has a crash or correction, it's just absurd. And part of the problem happens because, fine, you sell. You either lock in losses or you lock in gains. But the fact remains, when do you get back in? Right, right. You have to be right twice You have to be right when you sell and right when you get back in. And that's just a fool's errand. You can't predict things that way. And who knew? But the market has just soared since the election of 2016. So My my frustration, Lorraine, is anytime I would hear an advisor playing Nostradamus, (laughs) pretending that they're the Oracle of Wall Street that they, and whenever an advisor wants, wants to have a discussion, not about your goals or about the stuff you can control, but about the stuff that you can't control, that always frustrated the hell out of me. And that sounds like this guy right here. It sounds like so many of them, to be honest with you. And this is just one example of that. You know, they've done studies where they've shown that the more confident the guru is in their prediction, the worse the prediction (laughs) turns out to be. (laughs) Why does that not surprise me? (laughs) So, you know, that just, I mean, the science of investing is so well established. It makes no sense to be trying to trade in and out of the market and time the market and beat the market. I mean, it just is very, uh, it's a very unsuccessful strategy for investing. I love these. Not that I don't love a good speculation, but for right. investing, for your real money, don't do this, folks. <laughs> right. We always talk here a little bit about having your sandbox, and that's fine. Have your sandbox, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I love the sandbox idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, take the money that you would have blown in Vegas and buy some stocks and have a good time. Absolutely. But don't count on that for your retirement. <laughs> that's such a, you're such a downer, Lorraine. I know. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, chapter three, you've, you've got Harry and Sally. We're not going to have time to get into these. I love Engineer Bill and the Money Monster. Well, I don't love any of these, but I love your titles. And then, of course, who can forget uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? And yes. th- th- I, I laugh at the beginning of every chapter, and then I groan as I read, oh, really? Just all the different ways people step in it. And, you know, the thing is that these are all true stories. I, I couldn't make this stuff up if I wanted to. I'm not that clever. Uh, and it's it's never ending. I hear more and more of these horror stories every day. And it's sad. So I wanted to kind of educate the public and get them to recognize these signs of, you know, bad advice. I love the so I love I love the download and I'll link to that in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com if you're out walking the dog or on your way to or from work or wherever. But but, but I want to ask a couple of questions about this cuz it seems like for some of these advisors Lorraine there might just be some warning signs when you walk in. We talked about maybe they come across as a prognosticator where they want to talk about the market and not much about your goals. I think I don't know, a quick trip to broker check on the uh, on the uh Finra website. Oh, essential. Go to broker check, see if they have any disclosures. If you walk into their office and the first thing they do is a monologue about themselves, their firm, their philosophy, how great they are, turn and walk away. Just get up and walk out because that advisor is not interested in you. They're interested in themselves. They're not going to help you. They don't care. <laughs> what What is it then? What should you look for? If somebody's a good advisor, then you're saying that they start off by just asking open-ended questions about you? Exactly. I mean, our first question when someone comes to our firm is, how can we help? Wow. <laughs> I don't know how to help you until I know something about you. I don't know what is going to be the right investment mixture for you until I really understand what you value, what's important to you, what the money's for. I mean, here's here's what I always say. What's money for but to live the life you want? If I don't know what kind of life you want to live, I don't know how to make the money work for you and have it be there when you need it. So it's that kind of more uh, client-focused philosophy that you really need to find in an advisor uh, because otherwise they're just going to do what's convenient for them and not what's right for you. The book is called Bozos, Monsters, and Whizbangs. I absolutely loved it. Where can people get it, Lorraine? Amazon, of course, the cool. best place. Yes. Ne- never heard of that. Uh, Where? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, what's that? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Awesome. And and also, I would imagine from your website where they get the download. That's correct. There's a special website, Bozos, Monsters, Whizbangs. Okay. There's a, a link to click to get that, but also to get the download. And um, we're happy to give that to you. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the Better Decisions podcast, by the way. Congratulations on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Kate Stalter is my business partner and co-owner of uh, Better Money Decisions, our uh, registered investment advisory firm. And so we're always out there trying to educate the public about money and investing and how to live a good life. Well, educate and have fun, which I like. That's That's good. right. That's <laughs> important. As you can see, I like to have fun. <laughs> just, just slightly. Lorraine Nell, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and my wacky holiday calendar tells me it's Love a Tree Day. 
just do yourself a favor and don't get arrested doing it, all right? But in honor of this holiday, how about this evergreen piece of trivia magic? A large tree can supply oxygen for how many people? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. I'm getting frustrated, OG. I get frustrated because I've had a lot of people fixing up my house, and some of them are so incredibly disorganized, and some of them, some of them are great and have their act together, but man, if I don't know exactly what I'm going to pay when a job is done, and I don't know what you charge, and I'm not sure about referrals, I'm not sure when you're going to be there, like all these right. things so affect, frustrating. affect your ability to get more work. Well, guess what? House Call Pro is designed for any service business. It's just an easy-to-use app. That's it. And I love the fact it's easy to use. Hello, people working on my house. House Call Pro. Yes. You'll or have... people who should be working on my house instead of me out there trying to... You should see all the stain that's all over my driveway. It's so awesome. I bet it's heaven. More... Oh, it's great. Which allows you to use the power washer later. More time with your family, more time doing the things you love. that's what I love. need to buy. The freaking power washer to go with my paint sprayer. They're voted the number one software to run your business on the go. It saves you time and organizes your business. Here's all the things it can do. Send customers SMS updates to the entire process, wherever you're at in the Super process. Helpful. Online booking, payment processing, scheduling, and dispatching. How great is that? You set a it's schedule. Like you have a big team of people but all in one app. All, it makes it sound like you're a major operation, even if you're a one-man or woman band. Fantastic. If you're ready to get your service business organized and streamlined with your customers, head to housecallpro.com SB. Tell them Stacky Benjamin set you, as mom says, and you know what they'll do then? They're going to waive your $99 activation free. That's housecallpro.com SB. We're also brought to you by Magnify Money. You know what we should do, OG? Let's take a look at interest rates on Magnify Money like we do from time to time. And you're going to hear me typing here, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And I pull up the site and it says, compare the best offers for... Now, it defaults to balance transfers. So if you're somebody that needs to get your debt consolidated, do that. But I'm looking at savings account rates. So I How much is the savings account for $5? click on that and let's say I put in my zip code and my account balance I want to be five bucks Up, update <laughs> results and it says that and this is funny you need to save more with five bucks it's now American Express personal savings that's different than we've had in the past yeah yeah and there it's up to 1.55 percent by the way high yield yeah, savings no. accounts from American Express National Bank they get a grade a for their fine print score and $0 is your minimum deposit. I think it's probably got Perfect at least a me. penny. <laughs> if you've got no money, but you want a high interest rate on it, head to StackyVengeance.com <laughs> <laughs> forward slash magnified money. Then Ally Bank is second at one and a half. And then it goes all the way down to one if you've got five bucks. Now check this out. If we go up to- What if I have like 25,000? That's exactly what I wanted to do. Let's do that. So I go to 25,000 and you get 2% at Poplar Direct. However, guess what? Their fine print score is an F. Oh, uh, for fantastic. Yeah, probably not. Salem 5 Direct gives you a B. Uh, gets a B, and that's uh, 1.85%. So see how easy that is? 
head to stackybenjamins.com. 24,995 off of getting the higher rate, but at least I know where to put it once I get it. There. But it's there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money when you're ready to get better with your money. Hey there, tree lovers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, here with some trivia to help you celebrate Love a Tree Day. Here was the question. According to North Carolina State University, a large tree can supply oxygen for how many people? If you said four, you'd be correct. However, I'm not sure these so-called experts have ever hung out with OG. That guy's a hot air machine. Better make the tree a sequoia if he's around. (laughs) See ya! I'm so happy Lorraine was here to tell those stories. <laughs> you and I, I'm actually more sad that there's so many bad stories to tell, right? That's that's the frustration. It's always frustrating to me as some guy that really liked what he did when he was a financial planner, and I like doing this show talking about good, responsible financial planning. Ostensibly, that's what we talk about. But it always frustrates me when you hear some of the stories that Lorraine tells. Oh yeah. 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 Well, the good news is that there's far fewer people that do that nonsense than there are good people. So, well, and the other good news is more people out there telling those stories, right? Yeah, I mean, right. uh, podcasting a fairly new thing in the big scheme of things. So, getting the word out. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry. I love that line. They're disrupting. Uh, the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most donuts, free ATM withdrawals and free ATM. somebody else's account <laughs> or your family and your time, your choice. It's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven life. Now you're going to get a free estimate for coverage and you'll learn about life insurance the modern way. Love what they're doing over there at Haven life. But I also love uh, this call from our new BFF, Ryan. Say hi, Ryan. Hey, Joe and OG. I've got a question here about savings versus kind of taking on debt. So for some background, I'm 25 years old, currently saving about 23% of my gross income. Uh, and I've recently freed up about $1,000 a month in free cash flow. So I'll be starting a part-time MBA program this fall. Uh, It'll cost me about $50,000 over three years after accounting for tuition reimbursement from my employer and my scholarships. So I'm kind of trying to make the decision now whether or not to take my new free cash flow, use it for savings and apply it directly to school now, or if I should look to apply it to my uh, 401k and increase my retirement contributions early and get the benefit of compounded interest over time. So just wondering what you guys think about that and would love to hear what you have to say. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Ryan. Congratulations. I love, by the way, when Ryan says that he's saving approximately 23% of his after taxing. Approximately 23.982731%. Rounding. That's because he's only rounding to the thousands. So uh, what does he do with the money? I think that the, at the end of the day, when you get done with your MBA program three years hence, the goal is to have some newly marketable skills 
that put you on a different trajectory for your for your career. The fact that your employer is paying for some of this is great, but it also means that you're kind of tied in with them for a period of time. So I want to kind of make sure that you still have a plan for how this is going to help you in your career, you know, whether it's compensation or, or a different uh, path or something. At the end of the day, when you get done with your MBA program, the lower debt you have will allow you to capitalize on all of that potential excess savings at that point in time or excess earnings. If you graduate with your MBA in a couple of years hence, and uh, you've got 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or whatever number thousand dollars of debt laying around, even under the best case scenario, it's going to take you four or five or six years to get out of that. You know, so I guess there's a time value of money issue there a little bit, but I like the, uh, the freedom that comes with not owning anybody any money. And what happens if you want to get done with your MBA program and you get a really great offer at another place? You know, if your employer paid for a little bit of your program, they probably require you to stick around for a while. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, oh, since I'm free of the student loan debt, I can take this new job or this new path. Do whatever I even want. Though I'm gonna have to, even though I'm going to have to write a check to my employer, you know, or whatever the case might be. So pay for it in cash, I would say. You know, continue your 401k contributions. Make sure you get the match. You know, continue your Roth. Keep your cash reserve up. But excess money... This is a short-term goal, so this is what I would use that money Well, it's for. a short-term goal that will hopefully add to his income stream. I mean, MBA programs, that's why you do that, right? Is to give yourself more opportunity for more money. Allegedly. Yeah. Yep. So if that's the end goal, you also find, too, I find that after you're done with programs like that, even if you're already in the workforce, like it sounds like Ryan is, things change, right? He gets a new job. He gets more flexibility. Maybe he moves to a new town. So putting money in different places when the goals are kind of hazy versus coming out like you say with less debt or no debt is a fantastic way to go. I know, uh, Ryan, one thing a lot of people don't do, they don't work closely enough with the school's student loan department. Check out that because especially for graduate programs, there may be some opportunities there that you might not be aware of. Like and, grants and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to have, they're going to have all that information. But I know whenever we have people on the show talking about student loans, grants, you know, the college is an underappreciated resource. Mm -hmm. uh, so head there. Thanks for the question, Ryan. We also get letters down here in the basement. And today is no different. Doug just brought down the mail. And this one comes from Bill. Bill says, thanks for a great show. I'm always entertained and never learn anything. I hope I get an answer, but I don't really expect it to be right. I love the low expectation. That just makes us feel comfortable, Bill. Mm -hmm. I have a 403B through work that was traditional for several years, and I changed it over to a Roth 403B last year with Guidestone. I have an IRA with Vanguard. My wife doesn't have a retirement plan through work. She has a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA also with Vanguard. I'm 55. She's 54. What are our contribution limits to the various accounts? Our income is low because a lot of mine, about 50%, is housing allowance and vehicle reimbursement. Am I better in the Roth, even though I'm thinking only five more years until retirement or semi-retirement? Is there a tool or calculator one can use to determine when it's better to use a Roth versus traditional? Thanks for the question, Bill. And OG, 55, what's a better way to go? I don't know that there's a better way to go. It's It changes year to year, I think, based on where your taxes are going to be and deductions and what you're trying to qualify for and that sort of stuff. 
of a client who is trying to qualify for a one one last year of tax credit. And so he's doing extra contributions into his pre-tax plan to make his income as low as possible so that he qualifies for that tax credit. And so there's kind of domino secondary tertiary effects to your tax decision. Most people just focus on the first one. The best thing to do is kind of run a model tax return, right? So pull up TurboTax or whoever did your taxes, ask them to run a couple of different scenarios where you can do your own, you know, in TurboTax for free, plug in the numbers and then manipulate them and say, well, what happens if I didn't put the max into my 403B and instead I put it in the pre-tax side or instead of the Roth or vice versa and see how that affects your taxation and your ability to qualify for other, other uh, tax credits and that sort of stuff. I like those ideas from OG Bill, a couple of, of my own. Because you're over age 50, you're eligible for additional contributions called catch-up contributions. Uh, not catch-up like ketchup and mustard. Mm, ketchup. Mm, it's delicious. But contributions that you can put in above the max. You know, most calculate. You, you can find calculators at just about every mutual fund site. I know Fidelity has one. I know T. Rowe Price has one just as a couple. I'll tell you what they're going to say. They're going to say that at your age, putting money in the traditional side is better because of the fact the the upside of the Roth is that you've all this money compounding tax free. You never have to pay tax on it again. At fifty five, you don't have as much time for that to be as effective. So generally, somewhere in the mid forties, and to OG's point, this depends on the year and the tax law change. But somewhere in your early to mid forties, you find that that flips right where putting it into the Roth is number one versus into the traditional. So if you're looking for just the straight, I would do exactly what OG said. But if you're just looking for the very simple answer, the calculator is going to tell you that the traditional is the better of the two. But like we often talk about OG here, and we're pretty passionate about, tax diversification can't be overstated. Like having money in a Roth and in a traditional is better than not having either one. But which one you lead with is going to depend on that. I think for you, it's going to be the traditional. So. Thanks for the question, Bill. You got a question for the show? Head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll find on the front page there, guess what? There's a little button that says questions for the show with a big old question mark. Click that button and you know what happens? That'll show you all the different ways to ask us a question. Hey, and one last thing. If you're somebody that doesn't just have one question, you really want to find out how this puzzle should go together better and you're ready to get serious about your money, OG's taking clients, so head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and uh, you and OG can have a private conversation about him being in your corner. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned from this thing, man? Sure thing, Joe. Why don't you get back to snuggling up to that shag bark hickory while I tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from Lorraine L. If you're looking for good financial advice, research is the key, including a quick stop at FINRA's broker check website. Second, free withdrawals from your bank. Maybe that isn't the fresh start you thought it might be, but the big lesson? Don't use Love a Tree Day for your trivia segments very often because the answers are pretty wooden, actually. No, really, I'd say tree trivia is probably the root of the problem with this show. I'd hate to throw shade on tree-based trivia because that'd be sappy. Oh, really? This, this joke's paper thin, I'm telling you. Joe, we got to let this one go. So probably time to say timber to this episode. 
Special thanks to Lorraine L. for stopping by today. You'll find more on her book and her bonus report on finding the right advisor at bozosmonsterswhizbangs.com. Or visit our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Joe's mom for branching out with some stiff praise for my tree-based trivia today. Do you know I can cut down a tree just by looking at it? It's true! Saw it with my own eyes. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. I don't know if you know this, Lorraine, but what happens in the after show stays in the after show. We don't, we don't talk about this. Okay. <laughs> so, this, so this never happens. She's like, this got weird all of a sudden. It's okay. <laughs> She's like, I, I could do weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You're perfect here in the basement. You told lots of stories, great stories earlier in the show about clients and bad advisors. As a guy that's a former advisor, it was funny. I want to tell you a story because I think you'll appreciate this about just advisors and seeing their clients. When we were new advisors, I mean, being a new advisor has so many challenges. It's hard to get people to listen to you. You know, I was that kid when you, when nurse Betty said that kid, I remember people, their second question to me was, how old are you? And you're like, oh God, this is going to suck. <laughs> the whole rest of this meeting is going to be horrible. But that's how you had to learn, right? Early on, how to be a good listener, how to be the right. voice of reason. So people would often say, well, he's just a kid, but man, is he smart, you know? Yeah. So you had to do that. But I remember two quick stories. One was my friend, Phil, who worked in the office with me and we're struggling brand new advisors. And he gets done with this meeting with these clients and he loves these people and they decide to hire him. And it's only maybe the third client that's ever hired him. And he's so excited. He shakes their hand. They leave the office and he turns around and he puts his arms in the air and he's just all fired up. And then the front door opens again and it's his client goes, oh, uh, my wife forgot her sunglasses. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, sure. Let's go back to the conference room. And they go back to the conference room. He hands the guy his wife sunglasses and the guy goes, by the way, what does this hands in the air motion mean? Because he forgot he was standing in front of their big, 
their big bay, bay window. And Phil, thinking very quickly, goes, well, this hands in the air motion means I'm so fired up that I get to work with these awesome people and I can't wait to get your financial plan on track. And the guy's like, great answer. Oh, that's a good story. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> <Shoo>. <laughs> Sweating his brains out. I had a client, one of my early clients, and you know, we had, when I first started, I don't know about you, Lorraine, but when I first started my, I had very strict criteria. If you could fog a mirror, I would talk to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Please come talk to me. So if anybody had any money at all, the situation was more interesting. And mm-hmm. so people would give you hints on the phone about what types of stuff they were dealing with. And somebody told me on the phone, they said, well, yeah, I really want to come see you because I have a really tough estate planning problem. And you hear tough estate planning problem. You're like, these people, I'm going to be working with the Vanderbilts, Lorraine. I get to be their financial advisor. Fire my other four clients. This is going to be the one. And so I'm all excited. I go into this meeting and these people come in and they're, they're, they're very worried. They're incredibly worried. And they sit down and the gentleman I remember worked for the local GM plant, like everybody in Michigan worked for. Right, GM. right. <laughs> and so, and his, and his spouse uh, worked hard at home with their four kids and they had this problem, this estate plan problem. I'm like, all right, you said on the phone, you have a, an estate plan problem. Yes, that's why we're here to see you. We're really worried about our estate. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Well, we want to split things evenly among our four kids. Okay. All right. I know how to do that so far. I'm not in over my head yet. And I said, exactly what are we dealing with? The guy's like, well, I have this GM stock. I said, okay. All right. Fantastic. Said, I have five shares of stock and four kids, and I'm not sure how to split that equally. Oh, oh no. Okay. So I blew their mind when I said, here's what we do in your will. We'd say in the will to sell the stock and yes. divide the proceeds. And they were incredible. You could do that. It was so amazing. And these weren't stupid people. People just don't realize this stuff, right? That it's, yes, uh, I know. And so to everybody listening, I'm not making fun of my potential client. They didn't end up becoming clients because I solved their issue right then. Right, right. And that was it. That's all they needed. <laughs> that, that, was, that was it. But holy Good cow. job. <laughs> A state planning problem. Yeah, not what I was, oh, not what I was thinking. That's funny. Yeah. That's a good one. I don't know if, <laughs> if you have any early uh, career moments. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> it's really hard starting out and being a woman in this industry was even doubly difficult, oh, it, I can't uh, imagine. especially back in the eighties when I was first an advisor. Well, uh, OG and I were talking about this when you were upstairs talking to mom, you work for Drexel Burnham and we, we I took did. a, we took a second and talked about that too. Yes, exactly. Drexel Burnham. I mean, what a firm. (laughs) Yeah. You work for the place where it all blew up. Oh yeah. That was it. You know, that was pretty disastrous. And it was the days where cold calling was really the way to get clients. And, you know, I'd spend hours on the telephone calling strangers, trying to get them to accept some kind of mailing that I was sending in and just monotonous, boring, difficult work. And of course, that really wasn't the best way to get new investors to come to the firm. It was a bit of a problem. So, but that's but the way what? that's the way I started too. I mean, I started the same way. We would sit in this big room full of people. We'd have a movie on on a big screen in front of us with the sound turned down, 
And yeah. we'd all just sit and pick up the phone and call stranger after stranger. Yeah, offering dialing to, for dollars, you yes. know, trying to, <laughs> trying to get someone to say yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had some success in it. I was pretty persuasive and kind of friendly. And so people would eventually come in. But I think one of the best stories that I had after Drexel, I worked for a discount firm. You know, this was the whole, the whole industry was undergoing a change during that period of time. Sure. And so, you know, you would get what were called walk-ins. So you would get a day where anybody who walked through the door, you got to talk to first. And that was kind of a way of establishing your business because we'd get walk-ins. We were like a, a storefront office. So one day this guy came in, he was wandering around. He was just kind of wandering around. He was an older man and looked kind of, you know, disheveled. And, and But, you know, I'm just the kind of person, I try to be nice to people. I don't know. Maybe it was my upbringing. Maybe it was what I've been through in life. And so I sat down and I said, hey, can I help you? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for an advisor. I want to open an account. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, this is going to be good. I'm you know, a couple $10,000 or something that this guy has. So he sits down and we start talking and he's telling me, yeah, I have this company. And it ends up he had a million dollars to invest that day. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And no one else in the office would talk to him because he really did kind of look like a bum, I guess. You know, he didn't look very sharp. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to help you with that million dollar account. <laughs> Holy cow. It shows so you, you never though, know. Well, it shows you how true the millionaire next door really is. Absolutely. Totally true. I mean, this guy, you would not have thought that he, and I mean, we're talking in the 1980s. So a million dollars was a much more meaningful than it even is today. Yeah. That's retire money. That was, you know quit your job and live for the rest of your life money back then. And for him to just kind of wander in and, you know, (laughs) it was a good day for me. (laughs) It was a good day for both of you, I think, for him too. Uh, I was going to, oh, uh, when you talked about dialing for dollars, I had this guy, Tony, that sat right next to me as we dialed. We'd keep each other on the phone. We got down and uh, it would rain. And on rainy days, I would crack the same joke every single call. I'd say, <laughs> I'd, I'd say, well, it's a great day if you're a duck. <laughs> and I remember we'd go to lunch and Tony, the rest of the day, when every chance he had, if I hear it's a great day if you're a duck, one more time, Joe, I'm just going to stab you. I'm just going to, because he heard, how many times in a day would we, I'd say, Can you hear that same thing? No. 67 times I'd say it. And he hated me. He just hated oh, me. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, those were rough days. <laughs> we we had a woman who sat across from me, and I think that she drank vodka in her car at lunch. Oh, she was this Russian woman. I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's how a lot of people got through the day. <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. I only got addicted to caffeine during that time. <laughs> like, I didn't drink coffee before that. I drank a little bit of coffee, but after that, I would pound coffee just to stay yeah. up. And uh, man, trying to come off caffeine was difficult. Those are some serious headaches. Yeah, but that's about as it got for me. But anyway, she would come and she would sit right across from me. Renee was her name. Uh, and that's not a made up name. <laughs> that is yeah. That was her name. Uh, Renee would sit across from me. And this is what she'd say. She'd go, oh, you have CDs? Uh, what interest rate the CD pay? 
What what interest rate they pay? I'm doing her accent horribly. Six uh-huh. percent. Uh-huh. <laughs> you get six percent. I guarantee you seven and a half. I guarantee. <laughs> and, and I would sit across the number one. We're financial planners. We're not stock jocks. That's number one. We're trying to get people to come in and buy financial plans from us. And number two, it's just, a we don't have, I don't know where the hell you're going to get seven and a half percent when somebody's getting six. I mean, this is back in the nineties when you could find six. So I'm like, okay, six, eh, that's kind of aggressive, but okay. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I would sit and I would just do the hand across my neck. You can't say that. Yeah, you right. can't say that. <laughs> And it's funny, later on, they would have me uh, talk to brand new, brand new people for the firm that I was with. And I would tell the story about Renee. And I'd say, before Renee got fired, she was awful. (laughs) Before she got fired, she had 12 clients. And it's because of the, I mean, to some degree, it was a number, it was, this is horrible, but it was a numbers game. There were 12 idiots out there that, that went, Oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds yeah, good. I'll take me. seven and a half. <laughs> that sounds good to me. I mean, all the stuff your book warns against is Renee right. over and over right. and over. And, uh, That's it. do the right thing. And, oh man. Anyway, thanks for hanging that, out. Not a problem. My pleasure. <laughs> thanks so much. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.